you send in your questions, and we're um, working on them. What do you think, Nate? Thinks? Nate could probably do it. Nate, what do you think, Nate? Nate. Hey. Hey. We received hundreds of questions, like a ton of questions. Why do bad things happen to good people? How do I know God's will for my life? What happened to all the dinosaurs? Should I marry Fred? Do all roads lead to God? How can I forgive my dad? Can I watch the ravens play in heaven? How do I get my husband to put the toilet seat down? Do the pastors ever disagree with each other? We don't have all the answers, but today we will tackle a few of your questions. Why? Because you asked for it. All right, so here we are on the last uh, installment of this series, You Asked For It. The idea was we opened the table and said everything can get thrown on it, and boy, did the questions come. We've done our best to uh, try to go after some of the most commonly asked ones, Um, and we've tried to say with confidence what we could say from the Bible, try to be kind of humble and uh, allow for differences of opinions where that was appropriate. Most of all, just to try to be encouraging to everybody in our life with God. That's what this is about, is to be encouraging and to help us um, grow in our life with God in this. Uh, It's been um, uh, kind of interesting to see uh, the response uh, the response has been uh, so strong and positive that uh, even though today is the last installment, we will be um, experimenting with something. We'll put together a kind of a video podcast of short, kind of short little installments we'll post on our website or Facebook to kind of respond to some of the questions we didn't have time to get to. So on an ongoing basis, watch for those and you'll be able to kind of see those, check them out and share them with others as maybe they'll continue to be help to you, okay? And then uh, just remember, we're also just only having a few minutes on some of these huge issues and uh, so uh, there's some really important resources. You're like, man, I, you only talked about it a few minutes, but we have some other books and resources that might be really helpful for you to dig deeper on these things. Those are all posted on the website. You can check those out as well. As you probably already heard, I want to mention myself how pumped I am about next week. We begin a new series called The Most Fascinating Guy on the Planet. You know, we, we, like say, we don't always name our series after catchy beer commercials, but when we do, it's probably going to be about Jesus. And he is the most fascinating guy on the planet for sure. And I'm so excited about the opportunities that everyone's going to have to come into a closer relationship with him. It'll end with a great time on Easter. So be thinking and praying about that and inviting people back today. Today, uh, we have um, left before us one of the largest and most difficult uh, questions, and probably the most commonly asked of uh, any of the ones that we received. To maybe put it succinctly, why do uh, bad things happen to good people? How can we explain what might we be able to say in the face of so much suffering in the presence of so much evil and sorrow in the world and this is pretty raw for many of us this just this week uh, a whole bunch of people attended the funeral of a 15 year old boy named josh from john carroll school killed in a car accident on his way to school I got a text from a friend saying, how does this happen? Why would God allow that? What am I supposed to say to my friends? And you wonder about that. Or a sweet, kind man in his 50s 
who contracted Alzheimer's and for 10 years we watched him drift away. Every time he saw him, he was a little less himself. And then he died. Or a woman who became very ill with a chronic disease and in the midst of that her husband left her. And then she kind of recovered only to be tragically killed. Or a teenage boy who was home alone with his father when he watches him crumple over from a heart attack and die. Or a young couple finally saves up enough to get their first town home and then he promptly loses his job and they're evicted before he can get another one. Or your special needs child sets herself on fire at the stove and burns to death. Or just as you retire, ready to spend your twilight years with your spouse, she gets cancer and dies. Or you learn that your child or excuse me, grandchild was sexually abused over a period of years by someone you knew and trusted. Or your son cannot set himself free from addiction, and eventually you feel it's necessary to ask him to leave the house. He does, and a few weeks later he's dead from an overdose. Or your brother commits suicide in your home. Or your spouse is in jail. Or the young couple with dreams of having a child only to be told that it's not going to be possible for them to do. And then they pursue in vitro, and that was unsuccessful, which leads them on this emotional roller coaster of a journey where they believe God is calling them to adoption. And in the middle of that process, they're overjoyed with the news that they're pregnant after all, only to learn in the third trimester that the baby has no heartbeat. And they're plunged into grief again. I mention all of these only in particular because they're all events known to me personally that came to my mind quickly because they're all people I know in the immediate time period we're living in. You have your own list. And we all could add to it the massive global questions of poverty and natural disasters and the trafficking of children and wars and refugees and then our own private shame and pain and anxiety and depression and all of this. Nobody is exempt from suffering. Not even God's people. Sometimes we might say, especially God's people. What's up with that? And we so desperately want to solve this problem. It's like an issue. It's like, I want answers. And we we, we demand answers and we want to know. And this is a big deal. I mean, people have wrestled over this greatly. And it calls into question in our minds even the nature of God, doesn't it? I mean, because we can't deny the presence of evil, and so how does that square with a God who's good? I mean, doesn't it stand a reason he would stop all those things if he was actually good? Maybe he's not good after all. Maybe he doesn't care. Maybe he's just some mean tyrant in the sky who gets his jollies pulling levers or running a little puppet show, dropping anvils out of the sky on our heads for fun. Or maybe... He's not all that powerful. Maybe he would like to help. He just can't. Like a grandpa behind glass who just kind of looks in pain from a distance. People lose their faith over this stuff. Others seem to cling to God and swear he's the one who got them through. What's the difference? And where do you turn? Well, we turn to the Scriptures. We turn to God Himself. And... As we do so, what we find is a broad, deep, rich wealth of resources 
as ways to think about, process, deal with, cope with, and understand some, not all, of the questions that surround these things. And we also have to quickly remind ourselves we've got to be very careful. Tread reverently into this sacred space of someone else's suffering and the world's pain. And be careful with simplistic, easy answers. We're so desperate to somehow come up with an answer that sometimes we just say silly things because we want to say something. But can we just admit that the fact that we're still here scratching our heads about this today, after this long into the human experiment, that maybe there aren't any easy answers or quick answers, and if someone has a glib response that sounds simplistic, it's probably not true. And there's a sense of mystery that shrouds this whole deal because we're not God, we're finite human suffering creatures. And maybe one of the ways we suffer is that we don't get to know everything we want to know. But the Bible does give us lots of help. It doesn't give a one-size-fits-all answer. It points us to sort of some themes and some big pictures, and it helps us a lot. One of the main things the Bible does is it shifts our focus. When, when you're in pain, where's your focus? <laughs> on your pain, on yourself. It has a way, pain has a way of making us kind of selfish in a way. Drop a 10-pound block, as we say, on your toe and try thinking about anything else for a little while. You can't immediately. Every ounce of your energy is focused there. What the Bible does is several things. First, it says it reminds us that, that God comes gently to our side in the midst of that, in the midst of our pain, and eventually we can feel his arm on our shoulder and realize he was there all along. And then he lifts our head gently. And the Bible focuses our eyes then in the, in the right time away from our pain onto God. That's what the Bible is interested in doing. Not always answering the question why, but pointing us to other more important questions about where is God and what is God up to and how might God use this and what's the big picture. And so the message of the Bible is that as it sort of says God is there and brings comfort and then lifts our eyes, it points us to a God and here's what it says. The Bible says God knows about our suffering. It says that God cares about our suffering. It says that God is at work even in the midst of suffering. The Bible says that God can redeem and make something good out of awful things in the midst of our suffering. That God has done something ultimately about suffering and that God reigns over suffering and that God strangely but beautifully also suffers with us. And that God has defeated suffering and evil and death, and that we are all part of a story that is moving steadily and swiftly toward the day when God ultimately wins and the Lord himself, Jesus, will with his own finger wipe every last tear from the eyes and faces of his people and suffering will be a thing of the past and those who trust Christ will enjoy him forever with a new creation in the new heavens, in the new earth, new bodies restored creation where the Bible says there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more car crashes. And until then, the Bible says you can lift your head and cling to the presence of Jesus in this present moment, the one who has defeated sin and death. That's what the Bible can do for us. 
It says things are not the way they were meant to be, not the way they were created to be, not the way they're supposed to be, and not the way it's going to be. But in the meantime, there's an inevitability to suffering. And so we might then talk about some of these big biblical themes. The first theme, if you were just sort of writing the big themes, we don't have time to talk about all of it. Well, I would say one of them would be free will. That's a huge theme that's there in the Bible. The question is, why did God create evil? He didn't. It crept in through the choices of sin that were made by the agents God created with free will. Listen, God is a God of love. At his very essence, that's who God is. And he's this free agent who can do what he wants, and yet he's guided by this love. And out of that love, he created us in his image with a will and a capacity to choose to love him back. And that's God's big win. That's the ultimate win for God is that you or I and the rest of his creation would pursue him in a relationship of love. That's the grand prize for God. And it only means something to God if we would choose it. That's what love is. So in order for God to enjoy the relationship with his creation that he's made in his image, it meant he had to take the risk of creating us with the ability not only to say yes, but to unchoose him. And to go away from him and to pursue evil. Which is to say God didn't make us robots. He didn't make us little puppets on strings where he just sort of had some toys to play with. But really he's controlling everything. Making a, no, God made us like him. He was unwilling to forfeit that free will aspect of who we were for the greater payoff that we would choose him. And that meant he had to leave the door open for humans to choose to go against God. And that introduces great pain for God. Great pain for us. We talk about the pain that, that free will brings into the world because of all the suffering. Now you're free to walk up to me and punch me in the nose. And I'm free to punch you back. And so much of the world's pain and suffering is encapsulated right there. But it's a great pain for God because of the vulnerability that he chose by inviting us to love him because that immeasurable good, until you understand how awesome it is for God that you would seek His presence to be with Him and choose that relationship until you understand how sweet and powerful and good that is, you'll always think that the the free will that allows evil wasn't worth it. But God knows it is worth it. God knows it is worth it. Even to the place where if we want to choose to be separated from Him now and for all eternity, He'll take that risk because of the greater joy that we can choose to be with him. Why couldn't God make a world where no evil could exist? Because then there would be no real love. And God is love. He didn't want to create robots. Why didn't he create a planet where there's no pain and suffering and loss? Well, he did. Lots of them. Like Venus and Jupiter and Saturn. There's also no people there. There's no life on those planets. So in this one where he's created people in his image, there's this free will and that has opened the door for sin and our own rebellion and we've all been complicit in it and it has let loose in the world a powerful, toxic, corruptive force that means everything is a little bit messed up and broken for now and the Bible says all of creation itself is groaning and aching and waiting for the redemption of all things. Another theme we could talk about would be Satan. Is he behind it all? Is he real? Yes, he's real. I don't have time to talk about it. Let me just summarize this. Don't give him too much credit. Don't overlook him. 
That's a good summary. The defeat of Satan is already secured. He has no ultimate power, but he is like a dog on a leash, still at work, and we live within the reach of that leash in this world for now. And that's why the Bible says his job is to seek and kill and destroy, to separate you from God, to make you doubt God, to make you hate God, to make you turn on God. He uses pain and suffering. He does. He's like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. He, he knows there's still an opportunity for you to choose against God. That's why Satan tempts and he's thrashing around. One day he's thrown in the lake of fire. Hell is reserved for the devil and his angels. But until then, everything he can do to separate you from your maker, he will do. So take him seriously. But know that his doom is already secured. Put yourself in God's hands and know that whatever suffering is produced by Satan and his minions, God is bigger. Which leads to another theme we could talk about. We could talk about redemption and the sovereignty of God. What do those words mean? Basically, God's at work all the time, even if you can't see it. Redeeming, saving, rescuing even things that look broken and messed up. That's what redemption means. There's nothing that will thwart God's purposes, not the worst of evil. Let's get one thing really, really straight. God doesn't cause suffering, but God can use it. God can be at work in it. God can pull something good out of it. And most of us have understood this. Something bad will happen in our life and we'll discover that somehow God turns it around and uses it for a good purpose. He can teach us through it. He can correct us. He can, he can help us grow. He can draw families close together. He can, he can make us appreciate our loved ones. He can make us more mature. All kinds of things. Joseph in the Bible. This, uh, Joseph in the Bible. He, he was um, sold into slavery and uh, carted off. And uh, uh, then he was uh, thrown in jail and accused of rape. And all kinds of bad things happened. But when, when behind the scenes later, the Bible reveals that God was at work in all those bad circumstances. Genesis 50 says this. This is Joseph. Even though you intended to harm me, God intended it for good in order to preserve many people as he's doing today. God was at work behind the scenes in the worst of circumstances in his life. And he caused those bad things to turn out somehow good. And God is at work in your pain and suffering and mine in the same way. You can't always see it. You, all you may see is the bottom of the well and the pit you're living in at the moment. But you can know this, that God didn't put you in the well and God isn't happier in the well, but God will figure out a way, even if he leaves you there for a while, to use that in his bigger story. The way Martin Luther King Jr. used to say it, God has a way of wringing good out of evil. Give him an evil thing. Give him an evil, bad, bad set of cards. Somehow he's got no hand to play with, but he somehow does what God does and when he puts them down, it wins the, wins the whole hand, even with a bad hand that he gets dealt. God can do that. And so we've got to be careful when, when we say things like, um, you know, in, in, in this unspeakable tragedy, we say, well, that must be God's will. Or, or someone dies and we say, well, I guess God just wanted her, plucked a little flower from the earthly garden and planted it up in heaven. Stop saying that. It's not God's will when someone dies. That's why Jesus came to defeat death. Death is not God's will. Can God use it and work in it and redeem it? Yes. Do you see the difference? Be careful. Because this is, we're forming what kind of God we worship. Someone is murdered or mugged. We say, well, it must have been God's plan. No, it was not God's plan. No. But can God use those bad situations? Yes. He can. Wrestling from it. Good. 
Some things are just evil in a sin-infested world. That's why Jesus came. God can be in work in any situation. You say, I don't know. Yes, he can take an addiction and make it something beautiful. He can take a house on fire and hide a blessing in it somehow. And a family comes together in a way they say, we wouldn't want to go through it, but God used it. Romans 8, 28, you know the verse. God is at work in all things for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Even death itself, Jesus proved he could pull life out of it. Nothing can separate us from the love of God now. And you say, oh, that's impossible. You don't understand. It's too hard. It's too bad. It's too evil. I'll never get past this. I can't get over this. It hurts too much. And you'd say, well, it does sound impossible. Jesus says in Matthew 19, it is impossible. With God, all things are possible. Another theme the Bible would point you to is to say, God is a God who cares. God is a God of comfort. God is a God who understands our pain, has entered into this messy world and who has firsthand experience with the suffering of every kind. Hebrews says he's experienced so much of it and tested just as we are. You find Jesus places standing at the grave of his good friend Lazarus and what we see Jesus doing there, John eleven thirty five 35, says Jesus wept. Why was he weeping? Because he hates death just like we do. He understands. It separates us from one another and from God. Someone says, on 9-11, when that happened, where was God? God, I'll tell you, he was in the stairwell weeping with those who were dying of smoke inhalation. He was on the phone with others who were receiving calls about their loved ones. Jesus is a God who is a crucified God, a weeping Lord who is not aloof and distant, wondering how we're going to get through, but is down in the muck and the mess. He came to this earth to live and die in it and took upon himself the pain, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, who defeated death once and for all, so that whatever you experience here is only temporary. So that Psalm 23 can say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, yes, between where God created and where God's going to recreate everything, there is a valley of the shadow of death. It's called life. And when we walk through it, we can know this, I'm never alone. You are with me. And that ultimately is the hope of heaven, to be with Jesus. And that's the last theme I'd point you to, God wins. And that's where, he, that's where history is going. The theme would be hope, perspective, so that we can say with Paul in Romans 8, I consider that the present sufferings of this present time aren't even worth comparing to the glory that's about to be revealed in us. The resurrection of Jesus means that we'll have the resurrection of new bodies and there will be judgment and All of evil will be dealt with in a just way. God's victory will be complete and creation will come full cycle and that garden of paradise will be how things are before sin messed it up. It'll be back the way God wanted it to be. And that hope is powerful because it infuses the present moment and changes how we live, think, believe, and handle suffering. So let's get out of the clouds and get practical and just talk about real life a little bit and how this might work. To do that, I'd like you to meet some of our friends, Dave and Alice Flumbaum from Mountain here. Will you just welcome Dave and Alice? They could come out and talk with us. So Dave and Alice, uh, come on, guys. They're there. The applause is over and you're not here yet. Thanks for joining us. Dave and Alice have been at Mountain a long time and uh, known to many of you. And um, we're just so delighted that, that you've come today. You can make it? I think so. All right. Uh, thank you for coming and sharing. We wanted you to tell us a little bit um, about uh, 
your daughter, Rebecca Lowry. Oh, yeah. Well, she was, a, uh, she was born on Valentine's Day in 1962, and she just, after she learned to sleep, Uh, After that, it got better? Yeah, it got a whole lot better after that. But she just grew to be a uh, toe-headed, curly-headed little girl who was just delightful and and continued to be. She and her brother got along. Uh, She was easy to raise. We didn't really have any problems with her at all. It was kind of amazing. And uh, they never fought. We thought, well, next year they'll fight, you know. But they didn't. But they didn't. But they didn't. So, okay, they, I noticed in all the pictures, she's smiling. I know. Every single one. So that was kind of her um, forte, smiling. Tell us about uh, when uh, she was little, the time in church. She's seven years old. Oh, yeah. So. She was seven years old. And we were sitting in church together on Mother's Day. And... Um, the pastor gave an invitation if somebody wanted to give their life to Christ. So she starts moving out, and I thought, we haven't even talked with her about, you know, making a profession of faith, and if she wants to get out of here, she's going around me, okay? And she did. (laughs) She went right around me, got out, up to the front, and made a profession of faith, and that really started her life in in a special way. Climbed, climbed over her mother to get to yes, Jesus, literally. <laughs> All right. Dave, Rebecca? Uh, she was a delight. Uh, she and I had a special relationship, I guess, as dads and daughters do. Uh, one of the highlights, I think, for me uh, was in 2001. Uh, Becca was truly a woman, but she was also one of the guys. And so a good friend <laughs> of ours and uh, his son and Becca and I uh, hiked the Grand Canyon, uh, camped for three nights while we were uh, down inside the canyon, and she was our uh, medic and ended up making some helpful decisions that got us all out. Saved your bacon, basically. Saved, <laughs> saved our bacon. Saved our bacon. <laughs> Lots of memories like that, and I loved always hearing stories about you guys on the boat, and uh, it was such a big part of their lives with, with she and Howard. And Okay, so your lives changed radically yes. in October of 2014. Tell us about that. What happened? Where were you? What was it like? Dave and I were on a cruise, and uh, we had passed the last land stop. And so uh, we had three days uh, to get back to land, and um, we got a call. Our daughter-in-law, Rochelle, said, I have some really bad news for you. Rebecca was in a very bizarre accident on the way to work today, and she didn't live. A tree fell on her car as she was on the way to work and hit her head, and she died instantly. And, uh, well, she that everything, everything changed at that time. Mm-hmm. What, was it, what was your immediate feeling? My immediate feeling was a gut punch. I don't think I'll ever forget that feeling. And, um, of course, all it was sudden. It was shocking. It was um, a, a little unbelievable, wasn't it? Yeah. And, um, you know, after I kind of recovered from that initial shock, I thought, Lord, be with Howard. 
how is he going to cope her husband without yeah her husband how is he mm -hmm. going to cope without rebecca david you're on the boat your reaction i uh <clears throat> my reaction was like uh someone just hit a major pause button it just seemed like in my mind and in our lives, everything just went on hold. And uh, it took us a while to kind of think through what had really happened. And uh, God was very real to us. And my prayer then was, God, I know you're real. Uh, please make yourself known to us and to our family as we deal with this crisis. And then... As Alice said, we had three days before we got back to land, and uh, I guess the thing that we just kept saying to each other was, she's gone. I really can't believe she's gone. Mm -hmm. And what a difference that that was going to make for Howard and for all of our families and our mm -hmm. friends. And uh, But those, those moments were very, very precious because um, we had an opportunity to kind of think about what, what life was going to be. Uh, under these new circumstances. And we knew that they were being cared for by other folks until we got back. Howard had said, we're not going to make any decisions until Beck's mom and dad get back. So uh, there was a little spirit of anticipation and anxiety and how we're going to deal with this yeah. new, new experience. Mm -hmm. So you've talked some about the human side of this loss. Mm -hmm. um, tell us a little more how that worked out and played out uh, in your in your lives, and how did that come out for you? What kind of feelings did you have? Well, the first year was particularly difficult. Um, I um, had all kinds of strange feelings of sadness and loss. Uh, at one point, I thought, I'm losing my mind. And then at another point, I thought, it's okay if I just die and get out of this. I'll just die, and it'll be done with, and I don't have to figure it out anymore. Um, for about a year, I didn't really feel any direction in my life. Um, what to do, where to go. Um, and the that, daily is so different. Yeah, yeah. that's right. And so um, I knew God was there. I never had a problem with that. I always knew that God was with us and God was with me. Um, but life was different. No more phone calls. No more surprise visits. No more shopping. No more uh, discussing. She worked, we both worked in the same place. And so, you know, we could discuss work and what was going on. We could discuss our families and what's going on. And uh, we could discuss just life in general, mm -hmm. and uh, that had been easy. No, but that wasn't. leaves a big hole. It does. Yeah. It leaves a big hole. David, the human side of, of the loss, you've talked about how different people react to things. Even in your own family, you saw it. What were some of the things you observed through that? Yeah, I, I think <clears throat> you, know, you have the opportunity to look at your own personal life and then the, the relationship that you have with other people. And... Um, <clears throat> There was a loss. There was a Ooh. kind of an emptiness, uh, something that uh, just forced on us a new way of thinking about not only who we were, but mm -hmm. what our life was going to be like in the future. And so, um, in 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 that sense, we kind of looked to some internal uh, resources. Um, 
our faith, which uh, began for both of us at an early age and within our family, a commitment to Christ, laid a foundation that uh, allowed us to, to want to trust God in this situation. Um, but there were some external things as well. And our church family, our family, Hard's family, all came together and um, were there for each other. And I think some of the things that uh, spoke to us and me personally was uh, the preciousness of silence. Uh, there were a lot of people around us, but there was time just to be together and not feel as though people had to talk. Um, there were some comments, the typical cliches that come, and we were not offended by those uh, because we understood the hearts of the people that were expressing their concern for us. But often it was just the quietness of knowing that they were there. And then the preciousness of their presence, just uh, to be together. Our church family, a pastoral staff came when we got back to, to Howard's and uh, uh, other people from the, the, the community and, and our family. And uh, it was really interesting uh, in one of the conversations with Howard, he said, this is just like having a spiritual life jacket. He was a boater and so he understood that. And uh, so we sensed the presence of God not only in our own personal lives, but uh, through our relationship with the, the family and the church community that was there for us. I think that's so helpful. Talk about internal resources of faith, external. You guys, what isn't, what you didn't say is that for years, because of your faith, you invested in people, mm -hmm. in relationships in the church, and you had this wealth of, of people in your life through the church and others who then in that moment became, in the moment where you're about to sink, a life preserver. Yes. And this is one of the ways that God works even in these situations, isn't it? David, you said something too. You've said um, death is not pretty, but there is beauty to be found or something. Tell us what you mean by that. Yeah, uh, there, there is nothing pleasant about death. It's ugly. And um, if we focus on that, uh, it can be pretty depressing. But I think one of the things that, that we discovered was that um, just as the scripture talks about if a seed goes into the ground and dies, it can reproduce something of beauty. And uh, that's what we experienced. What we sensed was that uh, once you face the reality of death, then the memories and the influence of uh, a life begins to surface. And uh, we became very much aware that people were drawn to Christ. They were drawn back to a more meaningful relationship in their marriages. There were efforts within families to be healed when there were some uh, distractions and distresses. Uh, there were people who were far from God who became aware that being in a relationship with God is important, not just in the good times, but in the difficult times as well. And so part of the beauty that came out of this was just knowing that life counts and mm -hmm. it can have an impact on other people. Mm -hmm. And we sensed that that happened not only within our family and within our church family, but for those that were outside as well. It's almost like your faith trained you to, even in the midst of your pain and the hole that's there, to begin to look for ways that God might bring beauty out of ashes. And he did. Yeah, and you, you talked earlier about being on a leash. The evil one has just so much. You know, God has us 
often when we're not even aware of it. Right. We, we have that sense that we are anchored in something that is real and strong and available. And when you pull against that, all of a sudden you realize, wow, I am anchored. I am connected. And there is some beauty that's in that. And there is some confidence in that. So many will say that the most terrible things that life can bring also allow the most beautiful because it's only then that we realize that God is real and there in a way that we would never know otherwise. Now, one of those tools that you all have mentioned me very open with is Grief Share, a ministry that Mountain provides here into our community. It was so helpful to you. Why? What is it and why? Why was that helpful? Well, Grief Share is really a wonderful experience of going through of ex what other people have experienced and realizing that you too are experiencing those same things. Uh, the first thing that really helped me was uh, early in the study, there's a list of responses that people have to death and suffering. And everything I was going through that year was on the list. And I thought, well, am I crazy after all? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I mean, there's hope. Not and in that particular way. Not in that particular way, right. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so uh, you know, that really gave me uh, relief. It, it helped. You were not alone. Nope. Others are experiencing something. Exactly right. You'd highly recommend this experience to us. Yeah, it, it, well, for a couple of reasons. That, that was a catalytic moment for Alice in our relationship, too, because it was kind of like a breakthrough. All of a sudden, there was a different perspective on herself and on this whole experience with Rebecca's death. And uh, the, the workbook and the lessons that, that presented information were very, very practical and very, very helpful. And it really kind of kept us connected with the realities of life, but also with the realities of our faith and, mm -hmm. and, and the relationship with God and what that provides. And so, you know, my takeaway from that was that, you know, don't, don't not search for the hope that's there for us. That when, when things go bad, when they go south, uh, we as believers, as followers of Christ, have a reason for hope. Yeah, And that was a, a really strong mm -hmm. emphasis that uh, came through in our grief share experience. That great scripture in 1 Thessalonians 4, where Paul is literally saying that. We don't want you to be ignorant. I think we have it on the screen here. We don't want you to be ignorant about what happens when Rebecca dies. We don't want you to be ignorant about what happens when someone you love dies. Um, uh, or here's the deal. We don't grieve like the rest of people who have no hope. So you will grieve. Mm -hmm. The Bible doesn't say don't be sad. but It says you're going to do it differently. Here's why we, we have hope. We believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again, yes. and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. What a game changer in how you were able then to, to think about this whole thing. So you're, um, you're not normal. I know. <laughs> here's, here's how you are normal. Your heart was broken as a mother yes. who'd lost her daughter. Yes. You're very normal in that way. But You've talked about your faith and how it was so important. Oh, yes. What difference did it make? And how would you describe, in a nutshell, that relationship and the difference it made? Oh, I made a profession of faith early in my life. I was nine years old, and um, Im immediately I felt a foundation was there. I had something I could lean on from the very beginning. And... Um, so, I realized that God has protected me when I made poor choices in life. He has 
provided a path for me to live and walk on. He has blessed me with friends, family, life experiences that I, that I really credit to him for doing. And, um, you know, it's just been a trust in God from the beginning because he was there and I knew he was there. And uh, I knew that I've known that I'm not really alone in anything. I trust him. I believe in him. And he's real for me. Did he do this? Did God Did cause he do this, this to your daughter? No, he did not. I never have asked why. I mean, the reality is that bad things happen to good people. And uh, so, no. I, not for a minute, not for a minute did I think that God did it. Never blamed him. You, I was really you know never him angry. and you trust him. That's right. And that mattered in this moment. Can you exactly. say it is well with my soul? I can say it is well with my soul. The hurt is still there. Oh, yeah, the loss is still the there. The healing is happening. Sure, sure, absolutely. David, what, what can you tell us about heaven? <laughs> well, I'm convinced that heaven is real. Right. Uh, I don't know where it's going to be, and I don't know what it's going to be like. I just know that it's going to be there, and that I'm going to be there because I've trusted Christ, and um, I've met the conditions that it takes to be assured that heaven is a place for me. I trusted Christ as my Savior, and um, I know that uh, he's going to be there, and I'm looking forward to be with him. I know that Rebecca and other Christ followers in our family are going to be there because of their profession of faith in Christ as their Savior and Lord. Um, and, you know, the reality is, you know, I can hardly wait to get there. I think it's going to be a wonderful reunion and for all of us who profess our faith in Christ. First thing you're going to do when you get there? Thank Jesus. Mm-hmm. And then say where's, some other and say, where's back? And where's back? And where's back? <laughs> and, you, and, and many of our other family members, too. But uh, I, I know that she's there, and I know that we'll be together. And uh, that's part of the excitement of being ready to move on to whatever the future holds for us, either here or to be with the Lord and be with Him. I would say, if you get there before I do, save me a place. But Jesus says he's already done that. So. Yeah, he's already <laughs> taken care of that. I think a good place to close is Revelation chapter 21 verses 3 to 5, which is the, one of the last verses in the Bible revealing where those in Christ are going. Look, the Bible says, the home of God is finally among humans. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Neither will there be any more mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things, that's where we live now, all that has passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I did it. I made all things new. God bless you. You're not normal. You're Christians. <laughs> and Christians look at suffering and death differently. differently. That's right. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the hope of Jesus. And we pray in these moments that those among us who are most hurting will feel his presence and know his power, reach for his ultimate hope, and find encouragement in this moment. God, help us to be carriers of truth and hope and light and love. And thank you that no matter what life brings, we're never alone. And thank you for the beautiful life of Becca, 
and the opportunity to see her because of our trust and faith in you. We'll be reunited with you and all of your people one day. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen.